Welcome to Whitestone Podcast from the Whitestone Forum. This podcast is for business and nonprofit leaders like you and me, specifically designed around building, polishing, and leveraging our competencies. Each episode will provide a lens through which ever-growing citizens of God's kingdom can think about very effectively impacting every one of their organizations. For Whitestone Podcast, I'm Kevin Miller. Hey, there's a really important reason why Jesus used parables so much as a key tactic in teaching his disciples, including us as his disciples a couple of thousand years later. That's because stories are often a very compelling way of communicating what's desired, and Jesus had a whole lot to communicate. After all, Jesus was turning this world upside down in favor of citizenship in his kingdom to whoever would believe in Christ. Yes, a whole new way of life. In fact, a whole new life in Christ was being offered. And Jesus' parables, stories infused with deep insight and startling power, are foundational to a very full life in Christ. For sure, Jesus' parables never cease to astound careful readers and listeners. And many of the best examples of effective stories. A storyteller utilizes what we might call the happily ever after strategy. (laughs) The seeds are sown for that. When the listener makes deep connection to the key characters involved in great risks or great trauma or great events, then in due course, the hero emerges victoriously and the story ends with a deeply satisfying glow. Of course, There's not a discouraging word in the story about the future. Nothing to spoil this perfect ending. No, not a word about future trials. Now, there's an interesting, seemingly happy ever after real-life drama that starts with a man who died a bit over a century ago. His name was John Reed. He went by Jack. So, Jack was a Harvard grad a radical journalist who went to Russia to report on a very big event, the Bolshevik Revolution of 1917. Then Reed actually served in the radical new Russian government as a first-hand observer and advocate for the Bolsheviks who overthrew the Tsarist regime. Reed wrote a number of reports for a magazine called The Masses. That was a new groundbreaking socialist political magazine edited by a guy named Max Eastman. But then Reed returned to America, and in 1919, he published a book about that Russian upheaval, ultimately known as the Great October Socialist Revolution. Unsurprisingly, Reed's very influential book is quite naturally infused with the assumption of happily ever after, After all, the, quote, good guys, unquote, he had joined and advocated for had won. Reed's book was titled, Ten Days That Shook the World. And to this very day, it's touted on socialist websites as important foundational reading for budding progressives. Back home in the U.S., Reed had helped create the Communist Labor Party of America, served as its international delegate, and participated in communist activities. But Reed died of typhus in 1920 
at age 33, then was honored by the Soviets as only one of three Americans buried in the National Cemetery. Yeah, Reed had become very famous. His legacy was firm, mainly from telling his story of the Revolution. But of course, the story of the Revolution and its aftermath didn't stop with Reed's death. The communist Soviets who emerged in power due to the Revolution were led by Joseph Stalin, who oversaw the untimely deaths of many millions of people, with many starved in the terror famine in Ukraine in the 1930s. Then, after World War II, the Soviets dropped an iron curtain of complete control over many countries in Eastern Europe. And the Soviets routinely imprisoned their political enemies for decades into a network of forced labor camps called the Gulag. To be blunt, the USSR, the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, repressed freedom and deeply deprived their citizens economically for decades. But the USSR empire collapsed of its own inadequacies in the early 1990s. That's a fuller sketch of the USSR's socialism. Still, Reed was certainly accurate with his book title, Ten Days That Shook the World. But any happily ever after triumphalism, assumed in 1919, was later experienced as a relentless, decades-long nightmare in the USSR and its satellites. You see, Reed's focus was just on the very beginnings of a supposedly great promise. But Reed's story was hardly representative of the terror, purges, murders, and evil that followed. Now we revisit Max Eastman, that editor of the socialist magazine The Masses and the staunch advocate of communism who enlisted Jack Reed as a reporter. Yeah, Eastman actually raised the money to send Reed to Russia in 1917 for his reporting. But in the mid-1920s, after Reed's death, Eastman lived in Russia and Europe for several years and witnessed the deadly infighting of the Soviet leadership. Then he watched the factual, tragic, long-term results of that supposedly great October Socialist Revolution. By 1955, Eastman had completely refuted it all. Publishing his book titled Reflections on the Failure of Socialism. For Eastman, the evidence was in the Bolshevik Revolution, quote, rather than producing freedom, produced the most perfect tyranny in all history, unquote. Eastman's complete change of mind as to the value of socialism was so striking that the famous political economist Friedrich von Hayek referenced Eastman's migration in his watershed book, The Road to Serfdom. Yes, Eastman and Reed, close comrades in the socialist trenches, wrote very different stories about socialism. But wait, our focus on Reed isn't done. In 1981, famed actor Warren Beatty wrote 
produced, directed, and starred in a blockbuster movie. Beatty starred as, yeah, Jack Reed. And the talented Diane Keaton co-starred as Louise Bryant, Reed's love interest. The title of this movie was Reds because the communist revolutionaries were known as the Reds. And boy, oh boy, you talk about a glorious, majestic movie. The story of an amazing, idealistic couple involved in the very heart of one of the most world-changing events in history. Reds was nominated for 12 Academy Awards and won three. And in 2008, Reds was named by the AFI as one of the top 10 epic movies of all time. And all of Beatty's success in his storytelling about Jack Reed and Louise Bryant and their romance and the revolutionary socialist who created so much despair for so many millions. Oh, wait, that wasn't in the story because Beatty's storytelling stopped in 1920, the year Reed died. Sadly, Beatty's story was not a documentary revealing what really happened during the tragic 60 years between the year Reed died and the year Beatty made his movie. Reds was not a documentary about millions of Ukrainians unnecessarily dying in the socialist regime's terror famine. Reds was not a documentary about the USSR's horrific forced labor camp system where countless political prisoners were confined for decades. And Beatty's story was not a documentary about the Berlin Wall topped with barbed wire. Yes, built by Soviet socialists to keep millions of their people under their control from leaving. (laughs) So, which version of the story of the socialist revolution do you embrace? Is it the early version of Russian socialism by Reed in his book? Or is it the sobering real-world vision by Eastman in his book? Or is it Beatty's movie version of the early glory of socialist revolution and the romance of Reed and Bryant? Hey, it would be awesome if we could say that highly selective approaches to storytelling are an isolated tactic that very few people use. But folks around the world often tell stories and sell products and advocate religions where they tell a limited version of happily ever after. A story that's not really fully truthfully told. Perhaps it's incomplete, or it stops early, or it's wishful thinking, or it's self-serving, or it's simply sloppy. Or maybe it's just ignorance. But no matter why a story's narrative falls far short of truth, the damage can be considerable. And hey... This should hit us pretty close to home. We must all ask ourselves, are our business and nonprofit workplaces working diligently to tell the honest-to-goodness current realities of our offerings as well as what's likely in store for the future? Let's face it. In many countries, culture has radicalized. Social behavior has radicalized. Personal behavior has radicalized. Politics has radicalized. Many government officials have radicalized. The advancement in technology is very dramatic. 
often. What's happening today would have been unthinkable just a few years ago. All of this has been mixed together and created a witch's brew. And to captivate eyeballs, 24-7 stories can be found virtually anytime, anywhere, and gin up wild reports that are fantastical. And you know what? Sometimes they're completely false. Sometimes they're completely true. And much of the time, they're somewhere in between with just enough truth to give credibility to the bias of the storyteller. So what types of sources are you reading, watching, and listening to? A Jack Reed? A Max Eastman? A Warren Beatty? Specifically, what are the top 10 sources of contemporary stories for you? Are you testing it all by the Word of God? 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. And the teaching of the Holy Spirit? John 14, 26. For that matter, do you have sure methods to untangle competing stories when multiple storytellers claim Christ? So what about us? Our accountability to Jesus is for both those stories we spread and stories we originate. What stories are we telling about current events, about salvation? Hey, the authentic happily ever after story of the cross is so simple, clear, and ingenious that each person can choose their direct participation. Yeah, God's narrative of the Christ, crucified for humanity, is the greatest story of all time. Do tell. Thank you for listening to Whitestone Podcast. Visit our website, whitestone.org, for more real-world equipping. There you'll find uncommon video teachings, application and action questions for this podcast episode, and more. Also, check out our unique downloadable resources for group meetups. That's whitestone.org. I'm Kevin Miller.